Hello folks, welcome back and if you're a new listener, welcome to the show. You're listening to the High Performance Human Podcast and I'm your host, Simon Ward. Before we get into today's show, I'd like to talk about what it means to be a high performance human. It's got nothing to do with how fast you swim, bike or run, but it does have everything to do with your sleep, your nutrition, your physical activity, your personal relationships, work habits and a lot more. So if these are areas you'd like to improve on, then we would love to help you. I currently have availability to take on a couple of clients and my wife Beth, who's a certified life coach, also has some availability. So depending on what you're looking to focus on, we've got you covered. And you can find contact details in the show notes below. All right, on to today's guest, whose name is Pat Cook-Rogers. I've known Pat for several years, primarily because she holds the Outlaw Prayer on the Saturday before the Outlaw Full event. And Pat always reminds me when we promote the meeting that one doesn't have to be religious to attend. I recognize that there are some folks who might want to pray for a fortune to shine on them during the race, but others who would value just some kind words and empathy when they're feeling a little anxious about what's to come. And Pat offers them this opportunity. And whilst I'm not naturally given to prayer, I have to say that during those dark moments in a long distance triathlon, I do recall wondering if anyone out there could help me get to the finish just a little quicker. So maybe there is something in this sort of moment of reflection. As well as being a chaplain, Pat's an accomplished endurance athlete in her own right. Having competed in the Hawaii at the Ironman World Championships, attempted the Ice Mile, which we'll talk about in detail, and taking on much, much bigger challenges such as the Yukon Arctic Ultra on a fat bike. And that is a big challenge. Oh, and by the way, Pat's in her late 60s and still signing up for these challenges, which makes our conversation even more interesting. You know that I love to find out about what makes these older athletes tick. So let's crack on and hear from Pat. Hello and welcome to the show, Pat Cook-Rogers. Hello. It's taken us a while to get this going, hasn't it? I think we've been chatting when we meet at Outlaw Events for a few years about you being a guest on the show. So I'm really pleased that you're finally here. <laughs> you finally caught me, Simon. I did. Yes. Um. So for those of you who think you recognize Pat's name, you might have seen her um, feature in the results list um, for various events because she's still a competing, uh, she's still a competing endurance athlete, not just a triathlete. Um, but also before the race starts, you may also have come across Pat in her role as a, a minister, I yeah. guess, if that's the right title, yeah. um, because at the Outlaw event, she um, hosts the Outlaw Prayer um, the day before. At Iron Man events, she hosts the Iron Man Prayer. And she was telling me that she also does a couple of other um, events now, as well as a music festival. So there's a fairly diverse audience that she has. But um, I'll let Pat explain how that all works. So uh, um, where should we start, Pat? Shall we start? Let's talk about endurance sports first. Um have you have you always been into sports? Were you were you competitive in sports when you were at school? Uh, no, not at all. Definitely not. Um, it all started for me somewhere around the year two thousand, actually, with one of Ian Hamilton's early events, mm-hmm. because um, uh, Southall or Southall, however you pronounce it, 
um, that triathlon he was running in aid of my eldest son's school. I had my eldest son, who's now in his 30s, is um, severely disabled. Thank you. And so I went along um, to support a couple of friends who were doing it to raise money for the school. And um, to be honest, I just had baby number four. I was 40 something or other, um, totally unfit, wouldn't even have run for a bus. Um, and along the way, God kind of said to me, you could do this, which I thought was entirely stupid and ignored. But then afterwards, after the race, the friends who had been racing dragged me over to a triathlon stall, which was probably Mark Redwoods, looking back in retrospect. Mm -hmm. um, and um, it was a big joke. Oh, this is what you're going to need when you do it. And I thought, you've got to be kidding. But actually, it niggled because they really didn't think I could do it. So six months later, uh, my sister and I did another of Ian's events, and I nearly didn't get to the finish. <laughs> <laughs> I swam side stroke because that was the only stroke I knew, and there will be a lot of people who just simply won't know what that is. But it's a very old stroke. It actually works very well. Um, and um, I was so slow on the run that my... I, well, I had a long conversation with um, a lady who was out walking her dog. <laughs> but I made it to the finish line, and I guess I kind of liked it because I carried on. My sister decided it wasn't for her, um, but I kind of carried on. Was that was that the Danbuster event? No, that was um, Southern. Oh, again. Southern yeah, again. The other yeah. event, yeah, I did the, the two. I think it's one at the beginning of the year, one at the end of the uh, year. Okay, right. Yeah, yeah. so I did those, did two Um and then carried on, and then I did, uh, gosh, one over at Swarkston, somewhere over there was the next one. And it kind of grew. I acquired a, um, a coach um, and kept going. And somehow, from not doing anything, by 2006, I'd done a half-distance event. Um, 2007, I got to the Ironman World Championships. I mean... Now, before anybody thinks I'm any good, actually, I'm not. One of the things God didn't say to me was I'd be good at triathlon. He just said I could do it. So for me to get to the world championships, and I've been at four, I think. I think it's four so far. It has to mean that God was in there with it because I can only do it if there aren't many other people in it, in my age group. Well, you see, I, I, have, I have a thing about about this when i when i speak to people who you know feel like they don't perhaps don't deserve to be there because there was only a, a handful of people and it didn't take much you know we we once had a lady on a camp who won her age group in barcelona right that's what it's on the that's what's on the finish list the results list the winner of this age group is x but she kept saying, yeah, but I was the only one in the age group and she was in the 65 69 category which is the age group you racing now right Okay. And so, you know, you finished an Ironman event. You were the only person to turn up, which means that actually in the race of life, never mind the sort of um, rarefied atmosphere of triathletes, but the race of life, you've had enough about you to think you can do it and then enter. Then having entered, you've managed to do all the training and stay healthy. And then you've still had the courage to go along to another country and stand on the start line. And you've still got to finish the event. They don't. They don't give you first place if you don't finish. 
And so you've beat all of those people that aren't racing. Well, you've still beaten them because you're the only one who could actually do the race. So you are still a winner. Um, you know, I suppose it depends on, and, and you're still very good at the sport because, you, you know, you've clearly got enough about you um, in order to be able to do all these things, put them together and and finish inside the cutoff time because there are still people that I know that, that don't make the cutoff. So, um you know that still that still makes you a winner, and uh, in my mind, and I hope I hope that the people view it as that. So if you if you won your age group and got a Kona slot, you very much deserve to be on the start line, like Jan Fredino or Daniela Reef. Um, yes, I know you're right. It's just sometimes a bit hard to take that in. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I, I, yeah. I appreciate. I appreciate. It's a it's a difficult thing, but I. I think I remember seeing you there in before Kona. And um, did you do an Iron Prayer out there one year? I did actually. I did Iron Prayer at Kona as well. Yeah. 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 yeah I thought so. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And it's not an easy place to race in, is it? I mean, you're not allowed to. You're not allowed to wear a wetsuit, you know, because the sea's so warm. Although, looking at the coral and watching the fish is a beautiful way to distract yourself. <laughs> yeah, it is actually. Yes, it was actually. Um, after the last time I was in Kona, it was only the day afterwards when I went with my um, family on a trip out in one of those little submarine boats mm-hmm. over the place where we were swimming, mm-hmm. looking for sharks. That was a bit, uh, okay. oh, okay. <laughs> Did you see any? You were there as well, Simon. <laughs> oh, I was I was there every year from 2002 <laughs> to 2019. Um, hopefully you didn't see me swimming around underneath the submarine. <laughs> And did you see any sharks out there? We did actually, yes. Oh, it's it's uh, this podcast will be released before this year's Iron Man in Hawaii, okay. so maybe we should uh, when we should scrub that bit for any listeners. Um, you definitely won't see them on race day if you're racing no, out absolutely there. Absolutely not. No, no, they won't be there then. You might see some dolphins as well. There's usually a lot more dolphins that are visible. And the turtles are lovely. Yeah. Okay. So um, so you, you got to Kona. Um, Kona twice. Kona twice. Brilliant. And I'm interested in, you know, because religion's a big part of your life and it's a big part of the Hawaiian culture, isn't it? Although, um, I guess, would they say that they're Christians there? They definitely have different gods, don't they? And um, p- people that they look up to. Uh, certainly the Christian faith is there and there are Christians there. There are, um, as everywhere, other religions too. And Oh, gosh, I probably get myself into trouble now. I am a Christian and I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and God, obviously, and the Holy Spirit. But I certainly don't know everything. And I think God is quite capable of doing all sorts of things that he hasn't shared with me. So Mm. over the years, where I've got to is, for me, God is love. That's what the Bible tells me. That's what my heart tells me. That's what I feel. God is love. I don't think it's up to me to define love or to define what God is is or shouldn't do, mm-hmm. should do or shouldn't do. So I actually worry a lot less about it now, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the God I serve, and um, I know that God is love, and frankly, that will do for me. And, and when you go to somewhere like Hawaii, do you, do you, um, are you interested in their culture and, and the way they go about their life and their business and the things that they find important? Do you do you sort of spend time looking into that? Yes, I do. Um my one of my sons is um, has married already in the UK, um, a lady from South Korea who's um, a lovely lady. And next week we go out to Korea for the Korean version of the wedding. And I'm really looking for that. I'm looking forward to that. I'm going to wear 
um, the Korean national dress that the mother of the groom would normally wear, having to be specially made for me in a larger size. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to, to stepping in to that culture. Yeah, it's. Um, it, it, I think if you've got an open mind and you can understand, um, you you can uh, about how people live their life. You can understand the the reason why they have certain habits and certain things mm. that they do as mm. well, can't you? And mm. I, I know um, Mark Allen talked about this a lot. That was part of his journey from being a perennial runner-up to winning was absorbing the culture in Hawaii. And understanding the power of the islands and understanding the value of their gods and not sort of fighting against it and um sort of just just allowing the island um and the power of it to be part of him so that he used it as an energy rather than the force that was uh, stopping him winning and I, th- I i used to when i first heard about that i used to think oh it's a bit woo woo all this and then i spoke to mark and i spoke to him about um the shaman that he spent time with that helped him to understand all this and some of the retreats that he now does. And I'm having, having read about it a bit more, I, I can really see how that would have helped him and his mindset and probably was the final jigsaw piece for him to start winning. Mm, mm. Uh, I, Kona is a, is a hard place to race. Uh, I think if you took the weather away, if it was cooler, if there wasn't the wind, then it, then that would make the major difference. I mean, as a course, it isn't a very, very difficult course. No. You added those factors, and it is. Um, I don't get to the start of a race without God, and I certainly don't get to the end. And I'm praying all the way through. And I can remember the last time I was there, I don't, it was just, it was really hot, really, really hot. Mm-hmm. Even the local people were hot. Mm-hmm. Um and as we turned onto the road back um, towards Koda again, uh, the wind just got up. And I can remember praying and singing old hymns from school days in my head just to get through. And, you know, God got me through. Would I have got through without my faith? I, I don't know that I would. I might just have given up. But mm-hmm. I, I, I find my faith absolutely essential to mm-hmm. get me through every race I do. Mm. Now, I, I guess, you know, there'll be people who are listening to this who who aren't religious and think that these things aren't important. But I guess we all, even though they might not go to church or they might not pray or they might not recognize God and Jesus and um, all the other things that you mentioned in the way that you do, we all need something to help us get through moments like that, don't we? Moments where yeah. our legs don't work as we'd expected yeah. them to, the moments where we've just feel so nauseous that we're throwing up moments where things aren't going our way. Um, how do you speak to those people who perhaps don't, don't say in the, in the same way that you do about having help from God? I, I think it, it's about, it's about opening up. It's about opening up to what's around you. It's about opening up to nature because I believe God made nature as well, but it, I think it's all part of it. it I think it's about, uh, embracing the race, embracing the experience. There's going to be bad times. There's going to be good times. If you're feeling wonderful at the moment, probably in 10 minutes' time you won't. Mm-hmm. But similarly, if you're feeling absolutely rubbish right now, you know, 10 minutes, that could all have changed. It's a, it's, But it's about... Oh, I'm trying to find the ways to explain. It's about taking that on board. And that comes back to 
actually also knowing and accepting yourself mm-hmm. um, and almost being part of it. I'm not, I, I don't feel I'm making much sense, but I know exactly what I mean. I, I think mm-hmm. you, you have to open up. To open up, you've actually got to stop being fearful, stop holding things close to you, and just just kind of try and relax. There's an awful lot spoken now um, about vulnerability, isn't there? About about yeah. being able to share vulnerability and about actually, like you just talked about there, about rather than being fearful and keeping your cards close to your chest and trying to keep this shell around you that you feel like is offering you protection, it's actually quite destructive. And um, my brother does a lot of work as a courage coach around vulnerability and self-compassion. And he's worked with Brené Brown, um, Mm -hmm. who I've referenced quite a lot in podcasts and and shared her TED Talks. And, you know, I would challenge everyone to go and listen to those. Now, we'll put them in the show notes because that that whole thing about vulnerability, which is her big piece, is huge and it helps you to understand yourself and what's going on and perhaps why you take certain actions, doesn't it? Yes. Oh, yes. I, I, I completely agree. I think if you don't know yourself, including the bits that actually you keep pushing down and suppressing, mm-hmm. um, then it just makes everything so much harder, mm-hmm. so much more difficult. And you miss so much of life because there, yes. there, there's just so much out there. You know, just look out the window. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've talked quite a bit about um, things like ikigai, and mm-hmm. um, I think I can't remember what the Japanese term for it is, but it's like forest bathing. And um, my brother-in-law does uh, takes forest bathing um, courses and groups out into the uh, forest in in the Alps, uh, and it, you know it would be it would be completely alien to most triathletes because they walk around at a pace of about half a kilometer in an hour. You know, basically stopping to notice everything, noticing the moss that's on the trees, noticing the way the leaves crackle under your feet, watching the way that the the, the branches of the trees and the leaves sway in the wind, mm-hmm. listening to sounds, and and noticing things that you wouldn't normally notice. And there's there is actually quite a, a big body of evidence, isn't there, to show how powerful this is in terms of um, helping with your mental health? Yeah, yes, yeah, there is indeed, and. Uh, it's one of the things that keeps me going um, is actually just being outside. Mm-hmm. I, I hate being locked away. I hate being locked in. If I can't get out for a couple of days, then I, I definitely go backwards in terms of mental health. Mm. Um, uh, well, the first thing I do in the morning when I get up is um, take the dogs out for a walk at five o'clock in the morning across the fields, across up the hill near me. And that is my breathing space it's my talking to god space it's my listening mm-hmm. to him space mm-hmm. and that sets up the whole day for me i mm. feel not so good if i can't do that mm. well i mean there's more evidence around um certainly in 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 the summer months maybe not five o'clock in december but um early exposure to daylight to to, to get light into your eyes um mm. is a huge influence on how you sleep the next mm-hmm. night and going out first thing in the morning um, I mean, uh, you know, in the winter when you're out there and if you're still out and the sunrise comes up, there's another beautiful thing that a lot of people don't that, that don't witness. Um, but in the summer, you see so much, you know, we 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 can we live by the canal and we can go paddle boarding along the canal and you see nature early in the morning that perhaps you don't see when everybody else is out. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, you're, you're, you're totally right. It is a 
very special time of day. Mm. Mm. I don't know where if where you are, but um, occasionally around here we see deer. Um, if you go running through the woods, certainly um, when I've been at uh, where my father lived, and there's a big there's a big forest to, um, uh, about half a kilometre away, and if you almost without fail, if you go running there um, as it's getting light, you'll see deer. Um, on the tracks and and running through the woods, and uh, you do you do sort of have a bit of a sort of feeling of uplift in your heart, don't you? When when you see um, nature, it actually going about its business. Oh, yeah, you do. Um, last week, I was at a um, oh, we've got a caravan in on the Norfolk coast, and I was right there on the coast. Came out of the caravan door, take the dogs to walk five o'clock in the morning, and there was a muntjac ten feet away. Yeah. Um, dogs stopped and froze. I froze. The deer froze. And we all just <laughs> stood there for I mean, it felt like ages. It was probably only thirty seconds before the deer then the deer ran and uh, the dogs barked. Yeah. But it was just such a special moment. Yes. Um and so let's let's go back to your triathlon then. So you and we'll come back to how you've um sort of merged triathlon and and uh, your faith. Um you you've you've been to Kona. I mean, for a lot of people, when they've been to Kona and you've been a couple of times, it's like draws and uh, draws a line. It's almost like the pinnacle, isn't it? So, um, since then, what what have you continued to do? Because I know, I know that you have some other interests outside of the triathlon, don't you? Um, yes, I, I have discovered that I really love the cold. So, since I think the first race I did was two thousand and nine. I have been um, racing in the Canadian subarctic in winter. Um, wow. There's, um, there's a race called the Yukon Arctic Ultra, and it varies in distance. You can do anything from a marathon to 430 miles, either on skis, on foot, or on a bike. Um, I started off on foot, but um, uh, I have some back issues, so... Although I can pull a sled with all my things on, I can't actually bend down to get anything out of it. So that wasn't very helpful. Um, so I now do it on a on a on a fat bike, which is my. I've actually got three fat bikes and only one road bike. So I think you can tell where my uh, where my longing is, um, and and that that actually ties back into so much of what we've just been saying because the Canadian wilderness is one of the last true wildernesses on earth it is mm-hmm. it's just enormous and you can you can be there and once the race gets started and everybody is spread out you might not see anybody for 24 hours and for me that is just wonderful mm-hmm. it's just such a magical place and it's a place where i meet god so it's another very very good reason for doing it wow so that, that's kind of what i've been doing and um the event organizer there started two years ago another race in Lapland, very similar, um, north of the Arctic Circle. And um, I have, as of yesterday, just entered the um, the Lapland version of the race, which is 500 kilometers next March. So, what is that called? The Lapland Arctic Ultra? It is indeed, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. And I recall watching on Eurosport, maybe it wasn't Eurosport, but on one of those sort of multi-sport TV programs about Edita Rod. Is that the same event that you're talking about or is that it, another one? No, it's not. It's similar. Um, the Edita Rod is the American version as opposed to the Canadian version, really. Um, the, the 
the, the Yukon race is generally colder. Um, uh, the Iditarod, um, I mean, that's longer. It's a shorter distance as well, a thousand miles that one is. And um, you have, you sort of have less support and the wind is more of an issue. Um, I have friends who've done both. Um, the Iditarod doesn't have much appeal to me, but I, I do love the Yukon. <laughs> mm. And what, what sort of temperatures does it get down to there then? Um, a good temperature for being on the bike is about minus 25. Wow. Um, I have been out in minus 58, which is getting dangerous. Mm. Um, that was quite extreme. And you have to be so very, very careful. Um, I actually, when I arrived at the checkpoint after hundred miles, my um I couldn't see. My um my eyes had frozen. Wow. I couldn't see. So that was a little bit scary. But I didn't realise I couldn't see because it was night. Um so it, it has its moments. If you have to handle with care an environment mm. like that. Mm. But it's actually one of the few places where you can be where the decisions you make can be life or death and they're your decisions. Yes, it doesn't get get much more than that, does it? No, 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 it doesn't. No. Um, and if I was to say you immerse yourself in this cold war, uh, cold stuff, I, I wouldn't be. Well, I'd be pretty much hitting the nail on the head, wouldn't I? <laughs> you would actually, because I I love um, cold water swimming as well. Um, I've been doing that for a number of years now. I swim through the winter non wetsuit. Um, my great ambition is to do the ice mile, for which I have qualified three times, but never actually been able to do it because I go and do stupid things in Canada and Sweden in February and March. But I'm working on it. I'm hoping that this this winter, I'm hoping I might get there. So what are the um, requirements for completing the ice mile other than swimming a mile? <laughs> um, the ice mile is... Um, uh, a mile obviously um, the water temperature has to be under five degrees and you have to do it in with channel swimming rules basically so one swimming costume one hat um, and earplugs and goggles basically and that's it uh, it's very carefully controlled and it should be because it is potentially dangerous mm -hmm. you have um, a boat with you you have to make sure that you have adequate um uh, recovery facilities because it takes a while to recover from that you you are really taking yourself into hypothermia and it's mm -hmm. getting to the end of the mile before they have to drag you out mm. um, so it, it doesn't sound awful doesn't it but actually there's just something about it um, it, do, it does sound awful <laughs> sorry to qualify you have to complete an ice kilometer uh, and recover within two hours and um, uh, I, I've now done that for three years and I've just not been in this country when the water temperature has dropped low enough to give it a go. And when you say you have to recover within two hours, how do they measure your recovery? Well, you've always got somebody, medical, experienced medical personnel there, and they're just making sure that um, you can um, talk, your core body temperature has come up to something vaguely like normal mm. and um, you are functioning properly. Right. And where would you go to do this then? I mean, does the water ever get down to um, below five degrees in the UK? Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, it does. Um, 
I go to Yorkshire to um, uh, um, am I allowed to know? Yeah, oh, I'm allowed to. you can always talk about you can <laughs> always talk about Yorkshire on this show. <laughs> well, I go to um, uh, Hatfield in Yorkshire, and there's a company there whom I know and I trust their safety procedures, and they do ice mile swimming all through the winter um, as soon as the temperature drops low enough. Right, and so do you go to do an organised event, or can you just organise for them to? Um, cover you while you do that and then certify you as having completed it? Um, they, uh, it, the company's called Swim Your Swim, and they do sort of so many ice miles uh, most Saturdays throughout the winter season, um, probably from December onwards, which is usually when it gets low enough. Um, but you have to apply, you have to qualify, you have to have an ECG mm-hmm. and a medical certificate. Mm-hmm. And again, all of those things I think are absolutely necessary. Mm. And do you know what fascinates me about this whole conversation, Pat, is here I am talking to somebody who's over the age of 65 and who is reeling <laughs> off these events with the enthusiasm of a teenager, um, which I find absolutely brilliant. You know, I, I've, it's, it's, I've said it at the Outlaw Awards that I find it inspirational and aspirational and more in touch with what you do and what all the other folks who are over 60 do, uh, you know, when they're doing the triathlons and competing is it's, it's more within touching distance for, for us as normal people than, than, um, you know, as much as I get inspired by Alistair and Johnny and all of those elite athletes, I can never be like them because I just don't have that talent and, and what have you, but I can still aspire to have the enthusiasm and, and um, search for adventure that you and your, colleagues have so please let me let me tell you this is this is inspirational chatting with you for me and i hope hope for the listeners as well so you're going to come and do some open water swimming this winter no i'm not going to do no i'm not going to do the open water swimming no i mean i take my cold shower every day and uh, we go swimming we go swimming when we're in cornwall with without wetsuits you know and just have an early morning dip but um ah yeah, the cold, the cold water swimming and the ice mile doesn't doesn't infuse me at all. But 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 still, still having the the drive and energy to look after myself every day to continue to find different challenges is something that inspires me and and drives me on. And so that's you know that's that's also what I'm hoping is going to rub off from our conversation is how how do you what what do you do in your daily routine that allows you to continue thinking, oh, that's a good idea. I'm going to do that event rather than I'm getting too old for this. I think it's, I think it's a daily battle, really. Um, I have um, generalised osteoarthritis, so I don't have many joints that aren't arthritic. Um, very few, actually. And that's obviously something that doesn't get better. Um, I've got asthma um, and I've got a curvature of the spine which is getting worse and worse Um, I hope I hide it reasonably well but um, I won't be able to for much longer so those are things that are not going to improve as I get older and I think I see it as a matter of adapting you know um, my right hand is not very functional nowadays Mm -hmm. Um, I have adapted the handlebars on my bike I can't ride with drop handlebars anymore I have to get a special exemption to ride with straight handlebars um, on a triathlon bike now it looks stupid 
but I can't break unless I do that because breaking on drop handlebars means you're breaking against the joint. Okay. Yeah. That's too painful. I discovered that, by the way, when I got to the top of a hill. <laughs> oh, oops. <laughs> to go down. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so, you know, you, you, I'm just trying to adapt and I'm trying to be, trying to find ways around things. Um, when I go to the uh, cold weather bike races, when I go to the Yukon, one of the mandatory pieces of kit is a knife that you have to have with you. Um, and you have to have a saw. Um, a saw I might be able to manage, okay, and I certainly take one. Knife I take because I have to, but I also take two pairs of scissors because I can use scissors when I can't use a knife. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of finding ways round things, and eventually I guess I'm going to have to stop. But so far, God hasn't said stop, and I've got um, I've got some brilliant coaches who um, I've I've just had a meeting with uh, my strength coach just now and he is superb at finding exercises we can do that will strengthen joints I mean my knees are very arthritic the doctors are talking about some replacements I've just done um, a two-day mountain bike event without any pain in the knees at all and I think that's because of the small little exercises that I've now been doing for a couple of years that are just keeping me going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do quite a lot of standing on one leg. <laughs> Any cooking is done standing on one leg. That's a lifestyle wow. thing, I guess, now. <laughs> well, I know the listeners probably expect me to jump on this comment <laughs> that you've got a strength coach because I'm always, um, I, I'm going to say harping on, but I, I, I feel like it's a valuable um, resource that, that is underutilized by a lot of endurance athletes. But yeah certainly as again back to things that for which there's a lot of evidence you know as we get older we naturally lose strength and we need to at least maintain what we've currently got if not try and improve it and uh, so obviously that's that's a um a lesson that you've taken on yeah um how long have you had a strength coach Uh, i think about three years now um I, i have to say mine is um his name is ashley foster he is particularly good. He has encyclopedic knowledge, it seems to me, of um, not just strength training, but how the body works, how to adapt things. If my hands are bad one day or my knees are bad or my hips or whatever it was, he can always find a way around. He can always find an exercise I can do. He mm-hmm. can always find something, homework for me to strengthen it. And I think it's absolutely invaluable. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a triathlon coach as well. I'm, I'm still with them. Um, Mark Redwood, whom I have known for many, many years, and he and I work together to adapt. Um, I've recently, um, I I don't do as much endurance work now as I used to, so distance work has um, has dropped a lot. You know, the recent event I've done, my longest bike ride was, I think, two and three quarter hours, um, and I did a seven hour and a six hour at the weekend, and absolutely fine no pains at all so we're we're adapting things I think in a way we're all working together I've also got a nutritionalist um who um a lady by the name of Amanda Heading and we're working again on the arthritis to minimize through diet and any supplements Mm -hmm. my inflammation levels so it's a matter of just working around things as best you can making the best of what you've got Mm. I'm not getting too cross when it doesn't go right. Mm. Well, I mean, 
we all need a support team, don't we? Yeah. And and uh, um, everything works a lot better with a support team around us and recognize a, a recognizing that we need one and b recognizing the value of what they bring to yes. what you do is is equally important isn't it and if you um you know we give all of the we give all of the plaudits to um the winners in these individual sports whether it's in tennis or golf or in motor mm-hmm. racing or cycling but nearly all of those athletes are the first ones to talk about they couldn't have done it without the team Absolutely. And, and I think that's really true as you get older. And I recognise also, you know, my, my wonderful husband who has driven me up to Scotland and back over this weekend. You know, if I'd had to drive myself, it would have been so much harder. Mm. Uh, so it, it's family support too and friends. I swim with um, channel swimmers. Um, several of my friends are channel swimmers who are much, much better than I am. But Again, it's the encouragement I get from them that really makes a difference. Um, if you, I don't, well, if you, have you ever read about the blue zones? The, these are the pockets of populations around the world where they've got a higher than normal proportion of people who live into their late 90s and early centenarians. Mm. It's really interesting. There's, there's about six or seven places. There's, there's, some, there's an island in Italy, there's an Amish community in America. There's um, there maybe one or two in Japan. And they've done some research on these communities and tried to look at what, what it is that, in, that, that's enabled this, just this, you know, outlying sort of population mm-hmm. um, longevity, if you like, and tried to find what commonalities there are that, and lessons that we can all learn. Um, it seems like a lot of them have. I mean, the, the Italian one and the Japanese talk about seafood diets, and and but nearly all of them talk. I think nearly all of them, it's about eating real food and yeah. not eating a lot of processed food. Um, it's about being active, but not necessarily training in the way we would, but about being active, you know, um, purpose, which is the Japanese ikigai thing, having purpose mm-hmm. in your life, whatever that is. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, whether it's whether it's looking after a um, you know, where it's looking after the allotment or growing some vines or, um, you know, b- being a mentor to grandchildren. Mm. Um, and I think the other one is community. So in these communities, older people haven't been put in a home and forgotten about. Yeah. They've, they've been included and seen, yeah. okay, so you may no longer be able to physically contribute to the the group but you have the wisdom that you can contribute and guide people with and so therefore you're still an important person and so you still need to be included and know because you're including them then they feel like they're part wanted and part of and that's um, a a huge importance for their well-being and and so I think all of these things that you talk about here about you know having a support group having training groups that you can work with um, even if you've all got diverse goals Yes. There's that community spirit, isn't there? And and yeah. my goodness, yeah. when you go in cold water swimming on a on a snowy December morning, you <laughs> certainly need to be getting in there with other people who are in. Oh yes. <laughs> um do you have you do you purposefully look for those things when you're um seeking out challenges or, or seeking out groups to work with? You know, do you is that on your mind that you know it's important to be part of a community, do you think? Or have you just have you just found that's how you work best? 
don't I haven't deliberately sought that out. I think everything I've done um in the sort of in the sports environment has really been because it's somewhere that I felt God has led me. Mm. Um and for me I you know if God's not in it I'm not interested. Okay. Um, for me. So I, I think it's God leading, but he looking at it, now you've said it, yeah, it always has been where there are there are people. And and I love people. People are endlessly fascinating. And there are such wonderful people out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we don't always recognize that. But on the whole, I have found people are really good, mm. really kind, really nice. Do, do you do you ever think about age at all when you're doing these uh, things? Or do you just think, I'm, just, I'm not going to worry about age. I'm just going to keep doing stuff as long as I can until somebody or something tells me I've got to stop. <laughs> I, it's going to be my knees or my back. Yeah, I do think about it. Um, you know, when when things hurt a bit more, or I can't do something, or I can't get the lid off a jar, or something really irritating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then I do, and I do have the occasional moan to God. But but actually, I think it's probably just the way I was brought up. You know, my my mother was disabled. My father had an industrial accident at about age fifty, um, and it was all about. Okay, no, we can't do it. That way, which way do we do it? How do we look at this? Come on, you know, let's solve this problem. So I, I think it's probably upbringing as well. And uh, yeah, you just get on with it, move on. So, so I'm interested to know on those days when you're having a moan, what does God say back to you? <laughs> does he tell you to sort of suck it up, buttercup? You know, or, you know, the, alter- <laughs> the alternative is much worse. <laughs> Oh, but the alternative is not necessarily much worse from my oh, point true. of view. True, true, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, oh, gosh, he knows me, so he says a variety of things to me, um, depending on what he thinks I need to know. Um, but I think the wonderful thing about being a Christian is I am just never, ever alone. Whatever I'm in, mm-hmm. he's there alongside me. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, I first met Jesus Oh gosh, 25, 30 years ago, 25 years ago, when um, um, I miscarried and he sat beside my hospital bed mm-hmm. and he didn't say anything, but he came and sat there and the presence was absolutely unmistakable. And I, I have no choice but to follow Jesus because I've met him and you can't forget him. There you go. You shouldn't cry in a podcast, but, <laughs> oh, but you wouldn't it's be the still, first. You wouldn't yeah. be the first, and I'm on that list as well. <laughs> but you know, I can't imagine life without God, and and He has taken me to so many places and so many crazy things. All this endurance sport stuff, you know, I don't think I'd have done this without Him. Mm-hmm. So I am so grateful for being part of this world. Mm. Um, you know, I come to Outlaw. And I meet so many people. The race crew are fantastic. The athletes are lovely. And for me, the Bible talks about rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And if I can just stand alongside people, Mm. when outlaw, the perfect place to be when they cross the finish line is giving out the drinks after they come across the finish line. Mm. Because at that point, so many people have finished, they realise the enormity of what they've just achieved. And sometimes they just need a hug and a shoulder for a minute and then mm. off they go to the family. And that is wonderful. Yeah. And if people don't meet the cutoff or what, you know, have an accident on the bike or whatever happens, mechanical or something, mm. just being there is it, just 
yeah, a friend of mine DNF'd um, in the swim at Outlaw Fall this year. Just to being there to be able to say, mm-hmm. yeah, it's okay. Yeah, I, I remember you being there at the finish as we were waiting for those folks. There was about yeah. there was about four or five, wasn't there, that clearly yeah. weren't going yeah. to make that cut off. Yeah. And and I think you know I've been around a lot of races, and fortunately, that's you know certainly the swim cutoffs, not me. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I've seen it on the other side, and um, I know how distraught people can can get even though they probably know that 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 might be a challenge for them it's still the reality of when it hits and the the hand goes on the shoulder um is i was really interested to see to see you there and see you comforting people because they're they're clearly upset in that moment aren't they and and i think that's when a, a chaplain has some value because we are there with the agreement of the management with the permission of the management but mm. we are not actually part of the management team so if somebody's really angry uh, you know mm-hmm. they can shout at me and it doesn't go any further yeah do you know what I mean so they can say whatever they like to me because it's not going to go any further it doesn't matter um men sometimes are a bit iffy about crying I don't know why um I back to that it. vulnerability thing right because, yeah yeah but they could be with me because it doesn't go anywhere else mm-hmm. um so I think that's when a chaplain in particular has has value can offer mm. something. Mm. Um, but yeah, I cry with so many people. I mean, I've DNF'd so many times. I've DNF'd in triathlon. I've DNF'd in the swim, the bike, and the run. And what gets to me is when people say, "I'm a failure." They're not a failure. They might not have done the swim or the bike or the run. They are not a failure. And if I can just help them to mm. see that. They're not a failure. You know, they say, what am I going to say to the people at work tomorrow? How can I go and face my family? Mm-hmm. Particularly ex-military men or military men, they they can struggle. And and if I can just, it's almost like I'm sort of taking them God's love without saying anything about God because mm. he cares. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that's what drives me in chaplaincy. That's why, that's why I love working at these events. Just the repeat. yeah, I that whole um, sort of narrative of being a failure. Um, I come across a lot as a coach, yeah. um, you know. And I had a really interesting conversation with uh, one of the people I work with, who I've been working with for a long time, and he decided that he was going to do an ultra race. And like a lot of folks, one of the reasons they choose bigger and more challenging events to take on is to see how far they can go what my limits see what my limits are and at 62 kilometers on the run his hamstring and glute tightened up to the point where he could barely walk and he had to pull out and i figured that he'd be you know a bit pissed off about this yeah and i chat i left him a couple of days and i chatted with him the next week and i said so how how are you physically and how are you feeling about this you know, the outcome. And he said, well, mm. I've had a bit of a revelation. He said, because I realized that the reason I wanted to do this was to find out what my limits were. And I, now I've I found them out. So that's a result, right? <laughs> it's not a failure at all. Yeah. Yeah. He said, you know, the, 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 the limit of the race was a hundred kilometers, but my physical limit didn't necessarily match up to the race limit. My physical limit was different. And I've, and I've actually achieved what I wanted to do. I've realized that on that particular day, at that particular time, that's all I was capable with. And I've pushed myself as far as I could. You know, I might have reached the, I might have reached the 100K finish line, 
and actually thought, well, I've got more in the tank, in which that could have been less satisfying result because I hadn't found out what my limits were. So, you know, if you can reframe what might seem disappointment, it can actually be quite powerful, can't it? Yes, it can do indeed. Yeah. And it's something to grow from, to understand mm-hmm. from. Yeah. And that's really important. I mean, I, I um, oh gosh, I'm on Wales years ago. Um, I came out of the first loop of the swim. And instead of turning right to go and get back in again, I turned left. And I didn't really know why. It didn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you know, the, um, the marshal said, you know, you're going the wrong way. I had plenty of time. Uh, you know, it wasn't a problem. But I just knew that that was the end for me that day. Right. And actually, out of that, the whole chaplaincy thing was born because I realised there was a, I went out to help in transition and realised there was a need. Mm-hmm. So, um, but, you know, I, yeah, I, I, the only two DNFs that I occasionally still beat myself up about, and I'm working about stopping doing that, is um, Nice, when I quit on the run, with an hour to go because I thought I knew I couldn't do it mm-hmm. and I couldn't stand the shame and all those people saying, come on, you can do it when you know perfectly well you can't. And I regret that I shouldn't mm. have stopped. And I did. Um, and um, the other one was actually, uh, actually um, it was, it would have been a nice mile attempt if the temperature had been low enough, but it wasn't. And um, I set up to do an ice kilometre with two of the best ice swimmers in the UK and got left behind, which is predictable, and got my head in a mess and stopped. Uh-huh. And I regret that because I should have carried on. Uh-huh. You know, I, I allowed the situation to get to me. I shouldn't have done that. But, but I, I did. I, I learned from it. Well, I was going to say, I, I can appreciate that you're a very reflective person. And so I'm, I've no <laughs> doubt that you did learn from it. And um <laughs> You've been able to put those lessons into good good use in the future. I hope so. <laughs> I'll let you know after Sweden. <laughs> Let, let's you've you've touched on the the sort of the chaplaincy work then at, yeah. at the various endurance events. Um, we have an outlaw prayer before each. Do you, do we do it before each event, or is it just before the full? No. It's usually just before the full. But this year we were asked to do um, one before. And the outlaw half as well. Okay. What what sort of um, what sort of attendance would you say you get at those? Um, it varies. Outlaw, it's probably between about five and about twenty. Mm-hmm. Um, I I do others where I've had fifty. Um, mm-hmm. I do them at the Arctic races as well. And the last one I did in the Yukon last year, I got seventy five percent of the race crew and the athletes. Mm-hmm which was rather a shock. We ran out of chairs. That never happens in a church setting. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you were at, you were at, this year at, at the Outlaw, we interviewed, uh, was it Johnny Smith? That's right, yes. Who, yes. who was the from the Salvation Army. And he yes. talked about how you and he had helped each other out yes. um, on the previous year when you were both struggling and, and without realising who you were, you, you <laughs> yes. um, were encouraging each other. Um and then you said to me, you know, like Simon, it's not important for somebody to be religious to come along to these yeah. prayers. So, so for the, again, for those listeners who don't consider religion to be a real significant part of their life, why, why would somebody like that consider coming along to an outlaw prayer or, or, or an Ironman prayer? 
I think what I hope it would do is give you a chance to put down the cares, the worries, the frustrations, the fears, the nerves, whatever it is that you're still holding on to before you go into the race, to pause, to just think about how, not, not almost not think about the race, just put things down, listen, and absorb a bit of a rest, a bit of calm, and maybe some ideas for the next day. Um, I had um, I had a, a letter back in from one of them, an email back in from one of the people who was at that outlaw prayer, the last full one, saying how she had taken on board something that, um, in fact, Dave Manning Oren had said, and how much that had helped her the following day. Um, and I think it was about just pausing and looking up and around you, and that she had done at some point and had really helped her so I think if you just stop and wait sometimes and then things come together more maybe a bit like a kaleidoscope you know the pattern changes slightly and maybe it sets you up for the next day I, I can see how how sitting and particularly being around other people I mean even mm-hmm. if you're somebody's words like did Dave come along to one of the meetings then with you there Dave Manning Oren yeah Dave has spoken at every uh, every outlaw prayer. Yeah, and, and so you know, even talking to somebody as wise and as experienced as Dave could could be enough to to just change your whole outlook on the event, couldn't it? Yes. Um, and, yeah. yeah. And think about something and reflect. I think. Do you? Um, how do you feel about gratitude? Is that something you practice in your life? I guess I guess it is in terms of um, gratitude for God and, and Jesus Christ. But do you practice gratitude deliberately as well? Do you do you have a gratitude diary or is it something you do through your prayer? Um, I don't have a diary or anything, but yes, I am very conscious of um, uh, all the things that I am grateful for, all the things around me. I'm I am grateful for every meal because I've been in a situation where I have had no money. Um, I'm I'm immensely grateful for friends and family, and mm-hmm. I can't tell you how important I think they all are. So uh, yeah, but you know, I think when you've had when you've had not a lot, mm-hmm. uh, the situation I've been in in the past, then actually it's quite easy to be grateful for what you've got now. You know, I've got a car out there; I can get into it, and it will probably start. <laughs> in cases where I've not had that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, no gratitude. I think is really important. I think it it resets your thinking as well. So I yeah. I do I do feel like with endurance athletes sometimes, and I know I've probably been in this in this category that we get so wrapped up in the training that we do yeah. that um, lots of other things that probably should assume importance get pushed to the side, yeah. and and we forget about how important they are. But I I was reading a book by Tim Ferriss called The Tools of Titans. And actually what really impressed me in there was he's these these are guests of his that have been on podcasts, but we're talking about, you know, generals and admirals in the military. Mm. We're talking about political leaders, business leaders, entrepreneurs, um, icons of sport and and entertainment. And so these these folks really are at the top of the tree, and you would assume that their diaries are busy and you know, beyond yeah. sort of like six months into the future. And yet um it, there was a, a significantly high number of folks who had a deliberate practice for um, gratitude in the morning mm-hmm. in some way. Um, 
there was quite a number of them who took time out of what, what you'd assume to be a busy schedule to do, um, to meditate. Yeah. And, yeah. um, you know, a lot of, a lot of self-reflection in there. And you yeah. think, well, if, if we, we all go along through our lives thinking I'm too busy for that stuff, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I've got all this and all that. And yet if these busy folks can do it, what, what is it about their lives that mean that they've given that a higher priority than some of the other things? Yeah, I think they are absolutely right. And I, I think sometimes it's simple things like, you know, just turn the television off, turn the radio off, turn mm-hmm. whatever music you've got playing in your ears off mm-hmm. and just listen to the silence. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 there was a few years ago um, a Christian practice called soaking, which was oh. about soaking, soaking. It was yeah. about soaking in prayer. And it was literally just lying or sitting in a comfortable position. Mm-hmm. And... Unlike kind of meditating on something, just not meditating on anything mm. and seeing what God had to say. And and that, that for me, has been very valuable, especially in terms of learning to be quiet mm. and listen in the middle of stuff going on. Making a note of that. Some people might say that listening and learning to be quiet is something I could do more of. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to be a little bit chatty to be a podcast host. That's my that's my comeback. And an announcer, which you do very well. Thank you. Thank you. I try my best. And and I also have a good team to work with as well. It's not just me. Um let, let's go let's go back to your training now, Pat. Um because yeah. I'm I'm hopeful that I'm gonna see you at events for a long time to come. Um I hope so. <laughs> um you you talked about how you'd got a, a strength coach. Talked about how you've got a nutrition coach, um, and you you mentioned that you do less endurance work. I presume there's the less endurance work. Was that is that a deliberate um, action that you've taken on on the basis that you know you've accumulated a lot of endurance training over the years, and it's sort of it's still in the bank. It's more um, age related, to be honest. Um, it takes longer to recover, mm-hmm. um, and so. Uh, my three coaches talk to each other which is really 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 helpful wow that's Um, good and we'd come to the conclusion that actually doing less was better and more recovery and the more targeted uh sort of exercise if you like so um probably the thing i do most of is the strength um the endurance rides runs are nowhere near as long or as frequent as they used to be. And I think what I'm happy about is that my performance at this event last weekend, I think showed that that is actually working. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're still feeling our way a bit. Um, I haven't yet um, told Mark Redwood that I've just entered the 500 kilometer race in Sweden, but he's on holiday at the moment. So he can know when he comes back. <laughs> work out coaches are adaptable (laughs) at least it should be very yes it's it's about you not them right (laughs) um but i i would i for me having um a coach um two coaches really and amanda is really important because i'm sure i probably could work it out for myself but i don't have the time to put into coming up with a proper plan so for me, having it pop up on Trading Peaks with instructions mm. and I work out, okay, I've got to do this, this, and this today, and I work it out, it makes it so much easier, so mm-hmm. much better. Mm. 
Um, Mark comes up with a whole list of things for me to do, and I do about two thirds of it, and we compromise. Do you do you do any? You talked about your strength work. Do you? Yeah. Um, do any regular mobility work? Do you go to yoga? Um, um, I occasionally do some yoga on my own, but actually, um, the strength work also incorporates a lot of flexibility, a okay. lot of um, uh, strange things, really that I didn't think were exercises to start with. But actually, I think those kind of things are the things that have strengthened my core and my knees. Um, so it's probably in there as well. And are, are there any other things that you've started doing then in recent years or stopped doing um, as you've realised that it's perhaps not the right path to go down for, for, for longevity? Um, I suppose diet change, really. Um, as you were saying earlier, the processed food is by and large out, and I'm uh, I'm doing much more cooking from scratch, which I'm not so wild about, but hey, it's got to be done. <laughs> um, and I think that's that's been an important change. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to think I'm worrying less, to be honest. Um, I think as you get older, I think things hurt more. I don't know whether you would agree, but I I think things hurt more. You know, more things make me cry, more things make me laugh. And more things, maybe I'm just more open to the emotions. I don't know. It's uncomfortable sometimes, but I quite like it. Are you that t- makes t- sense. Are you talking about physical things or emotional things now? Emotional things, really, uh-huh. um, as opposed to physical. I mean, physical things do hurt more because I'm getting older. But I think it's a, It's maybe it's just accepting life is life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I cry a lot more now than I used to. And I don't mind sharing that, you know, because I've, yeah. I've 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 also learned to learn to recognise that vulnerability and, and sharing vulnerability yeah. is a good thing and not a bad thing. Yeah. Um. So I'm quite happy to cry in public and uh, yeah. and display that, you know. It's uh, and Kyle and I sometimes have a little blub off on the finish line if there's something really emotional going on. Yeah. And, and poor, uh, unfortunately, Louise is just as bad. So we we have to find which commentators <laughs> is the least affected emotionally by what's going on. Um. But uh, yeah, I have found that. Um, I think, uh, well, is is life less stressful? I don't know if life's less stressful. I think you become more rational and um, pragmatic about stuff as well, don't you? Yeah. Um, so maybe it's just not not worrying about things as much. Mm-hmm. Um, I, like you, I've uh, I I try to be in control of stuff as much as possible. So I've I've taken to riding my gravel bike more because it means that I don't have to come into contact with the motorists who are, who are not paying attention and therefore I'm 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 likely to get back from a ride feeling not feeling like the world's trying to kill me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and actually that is one thing I've changed as well. I hadn't thought about it, but I have I ride on the road as little as possible and if mm-hmm. I do I do it very early in the morning. Yeah. Uh, I don't feel safe around the East Midlands now. Um uh a lot of my um, training for the ultras I do on the sand um over in Norfolk yeah and, you know beach riding is brilliant for that mm. um, but yeah I, riding on the road I'm not not keen on now no I mean I do I do and we've just been on a fantastic trip around Austria and Slovenia and mm. Italy um mm. although I do think that Actually, it was different in Slovenia. The motorists didn't seem to have quite the care for cyclists as they do in places like Italy. They've got beautiful bike paths that are separated from the roads. In mm. France, they're they're much more careful. Um, but yeah, I I do a lot more uh, I do a lot more gravel riding here, mm. and then uh, you've only got to worry about your own incompetence, then, haven't you? 
yes, I, I was thinking about that quite a lot at the weekend over in um, near Glenshee, um, riding a fat bike on some of those rocky single track wet grass routes was um, challenging. <laughs> yes, I've seen those fat bike tyres. They, they probably only just about fit into a single track route, don't they? And sometimes they don't. And that gets interesting. <laughs> yes, I've not I've not tried fat bikes yet. I, I know somebody who lives in Florida who, who also has that passion for riding along those beautiful oh, oh. golden sand beaches for, you know, miles upon miles. Yeah, yeah. 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 It, mm. It's um, that really is it can be great fun again you've got you've got to do these things early in the morning when there's nobody about yeah and but yeah it's wonderful absolutely wonderful yeah and i I mean i where i or where we live my wife keeps picking me up on that where we live is right next to leeds liverpool canal so i'm quite lucky that i can choose to get out a lot of routes riding along the towpath but actually i find that humanity is the biggest danger now people who are walking the dogs pushing a pram and looking at the phone at the same time, not concentrating yeah. on any of them and just completely ignorant of the fact that yeah. there's a path that's a metre and a half wide and there's a cyclist yeah. coming. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, and the dog are... is on an extending lead and could be off anywhere. Well, and yeah, the dog's on the extending lead on the other side of the canal and it's like this sort of like tripwire that you've yeah. got to navigate. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. And then they're quite indignant. When you, when you shout bike coming or ring a bell, um, yeah. you can never get yeah. it quite right because some people say, please, can you shout that you're coming instead of ringing a bell? And other people say, well, there's no need to shout. You need a bell. Yes. Um, so now I shout and ring my bell. <laughs> you're going to be wrong both ways then. <laughs> yes, well, um, uh, yeah, that's an, that's another thing, isn't it? <laughs> well, look, Pat, it's been fabulous to catch up. I've really appreciated you being here. And um, if you could... Uh, if you could give some advice to our listeners about longevity, about how to embrace you, you that was something I wrote down really early on uh, that you wrote, uh, that you said was about um, opening up, embracing, knowing yourself. Mm-hmm. But if you could give our, our listeners some advice on longevity and how to, how to make the most of the inevitably getting older, what, what would it be? Oh gosh. I think I would say open up to being yourself and think about going backwards a bit and doing some of the childhood things you used to do. Oh, think lovely. like a child the way you used to be. And um, hey, who cares if anybody's watching? Just go and do it. Yeah, sort of when you're when you're a bit older, people just think, oh, he's getting old or she's getting old. So <laughs> that they can sort of um uh, they can give you. They give you a bit more freedom to mess about and be silly, don't they? Yeah, they do. They do. Um, and I've yeah. I've I've noticed with athletes that I've worked with, you know, there's there's a certain band of ages where people do think about what you know what are people going to think about me if I'm doing these yeah. running drills, and then they get to a certain age where they just don't care anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. I mean, one of my ambitions is um, actually to learn belly dancing. So. I don't know if I'll ever do that, but I can't see why I shouldn't give it a go. Mm. I've always wanted to do one of those five-minute stand-up routines. Oh, gosh, yeah. um, Go to a a course, learn how to do stand-up, and then then get – I mean, I don't mind standing up in front of a group, but – of people but standing up and then telling jokes and having it all corpse is is something I think a lot of people would um, (laughs) fear. So uh, doing a stand-up routine – 
Yeah. That sounds wonderful. Go for it. Go do it. I'll come and listen. Ooh, now I'm going to have to challenge myself. I think I've, I've always said I wasn't going to enter another Ironman, but I think I might rather do that than do stand-up. That's okay. You can come and talk at Iron Prayer. <laughs> we'll have, we might have to have a comedy prayer beforehand. <laughs> I don't mind that. <laughs> Pat, it's been fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. Um, I wish you all the best with the I Smile Challenge and, um, and the Lapland Ultra next March. Yep. Yep. Um, I'll put links to that and I'll see if I can find some videos so that people can get an idea of the um, the wilderness and the harshness of, of what you do in all of those events. And okay. uh, I look forward to seeing you at next year's Outlaw events. Indeed. Thanks, Simon. Thank you again to Pat for being my guest on this week's show. I hope you enjoyed her insights, especially the part about how she loves going back to the Arctic every year to take part in these just mind-blowing events and hopefully when you get to your late 60s you'll have the enthusiasm to do something similar to make sure you don't miss any of our future episodes please go to itunes search for high performance human triathlon podcast and click on the subscribe button and if you have time we would really appreciate it if you can leave us a review on apple podcasts because it does make a difference to the rankings here's a question for you do you like reading or listening to audiobooks? If you do, then I have something you might be interested in. If you ever read the show notes, you might have seen that we ask all of our guests to recommend their favourite book, something that's inspired or captivated them, or maybe even just a bit of self-promotion. We've been slowly compiling a list of all of these books, and it's way over 200 now. So if you'd like the full PDF book list, please click on the link in the show notes, and you can download that for free. And all that will happen is you'll join my mailing list and receive more training and lifestyle tips from me on a regular basis. So for all of those links, please check out the show notes and you can click on whichever link you choose. Right, that's it for this week. Next week, I'll have another great guest and I hope that you'll be able to join me. See you now.